brand is more important than it's ever been. Companies that grew up with passerby readers are dead. And if you don't have a consumer who's actively looking for your content, it is very difficult to build ancillary business models. If you look at what Snapchat's doing with advertising and storytelling, it's clear that digital can be more than the thing that we think it is. Welcome to the J Podcast. I'm Brian Marcy. I'm joined this week by Matthew Siegel from Attention. Good to be here. So for those who don't know Attention, explain the origins of the brand and what you do. So Attention is a media company. We cover news, politics, social issues geared toward a younger audience. Our method of distribution is through social. So we program video to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, and then all these new streaming services that are hungry for premium video and mid-form and uh, increasingly longer-form storytelling. Uh, we started the company three years ago. Okay. And uh, the genesis was people uh, want and need more information in a digestible way that meets them where they live and that helps tell stories that are important to their well-being and their livelihood and my background prior to this was in voter registration. I ran ourtime.org, which is one of the larger voter registration nonprofits uh, registering young people to vote. And I realized that the bigger barrier toward getting people to vote was that they didn't understand the issues. And so uh, we started creating content to inform them and entertain them into knowing how important topics affect their lives. And uh, that became attention, a media company that we realized there's a great business opportunity for given that more traditional media companies were, were failing to reach people sort of on the mobile ecosystem and social ecosystem where they live, especially around themes and topics that are, frankly, mm -hmm. worth their attention. I see how you played that in there. Um, so you pivoted to video before the pivot to video was a thing. We were video first before yeah. it's cool. And honestly, we like, we like to boast about that because I think we had some vision there. I mean, we started the company in Los Angeles three years ago, and we purposely decided, uh, even though my, my colleague Jared and I lived in Washington, D.C., that the right place to start a company was L.A. for a bunch of reasons. But the biggest reason being the best video creators in the country. In but my the opinion. news industry is, is, is here in Washington. It's in Washington and it's in New York. Yeah. But we decided that we would pursue uh, politics and issues through the lens of culture and through the lens of visual storytelling. And that is based, in my opinion, out of LA. And that's mm -hmm. the hub for a lot of that great creativity. So we started the company there, have great access to all these producers, these editors. And I think our third or fourth hire was a, a full-time head of video uh, and every uh, story we tell, you know, from mm -hmm. uh, the perspective of not only political stories, but environmental stories, health stories, parenting stories, they're all done in short form video that uh, we try to optimize to be shareable. Okay. So give me the numbers. How many people are you now? So we're about 125 people full time. That's, okay. Yeah. That's a lot of people at a time when a lot of news organizations are shrinking. Um, and give me the big numbers, the big video numbers. There, there, we do about a half billion views a month. Sounds uh, good. It sounds good. Uh, and you know, I think that the, the statistic we're most proud of, um, apart from the sticky audience that we've built, uh, who really appreciate our content, is the V30 metric, according to Tubular Labs, uh, which is the views in the first 30 days of a video. 
and we've been uh, among the highest of every publisher for pretty much the entire year mm-hmm. of 2017. Explain why that's an important metric. Because, because I, think, cause I think a lot of people do yeah. have these big overall view counts. And now some, you know, people are saying, well, you know, it should be total view time. And- because if you have 5,000 employees on your team and you can just pump out a ton of video and some video does, you know, mil- some videos do millions of views and other videos do, uh, you know, a few thousand views, then if you're an advertiser, you know that there's a huge spread with respect to how well you can perform. And there's sort of a spray and pray approach from a lot of these companies that just have the sheer number and volume to attract great numbers. Uh, For us, we don't publish that many videos. I mean, even though we're 125 people, we're a small team compared to some larger legacy news and media organizations. And as a result, we publish between five and seven videos a day that are original videos mm-hmm. that we work very meticulously on. And they all pack a really big punch. I mean, we're averaging millions of views on every video. And so if you're an advertiser, you know if you make a video with attention, it's going to reach organically millions of people. And there's no ambiguity with respect to, is this going to be one of the outlier viral ones? Or is this going to be a classic underperformer with us? Uh, everything we make performs well because we're so careful and meticulous with respect to the production of the videos. And so V30 matters because advertisers want to know how many views is an average video going to get in the first 30 days, especially if they're running a campaign. And since we average the highest among that, uh, among pretty much every publisher, uh, that's been an attractive selling point for us. But how about viewing time? Like how long are people spending on these because i assume most of these are happening on facebook yeah and people are going through a feed they're waiting for the bus everyone who's listening to this podcast has like heard me say this like a million times so sure i mean i i I think you'd have to ask facebook for the average retention across all their videos on their platform but i'll say that we are doing and i've talked to your colleague sahil about this we're doing hundreds of millions of 30 second views per month and that's not a ephemeral Oh, I watched this video by accident. That mm-hmm. is that those are people staying on our videos who are eager to see the whole message, who enjoy the consumption of them and who watch more. And uh, one of our shows on Facebook Watch right now, we have three shows on Facebook Watch is doing really well, we were recently told with repeat viewers, which is a key metric that Facebook is paying attention to and we're also paying attention to, which is a measurement of how sticky your audience is and how much do they like the serialized content that you're making and how often are they reliable viewers who will return, you know, for follow-up videos that you make as opposed to just experience you one time in a viral one-off way in the feed. So let's talk about that, about the key metrics you look at, like about how you're doing, like, each month sure what are the five outside we'll leave the business metrics on the side but let's let's talk about audience metrics what do you look at i mean we look at cumulative views the biggest thing we look at is average views per video because we're never going to release ten thousand videos a month and therefore be able to put up a you know multi-billion number video count uh we look at the quality of our audience who our audience is we look at retention time for sure and we look at engagements per video So it's one thing to passively watch. It's another thing to share, to comment, to click many of the Facebook reaction buttons. And that's something we we pay close attention to. Um, You know, we also pay attention to our views on 
other platforms, Instagram being a place we've had a lot of success recently. You know, this month we'll cross over 10 million views organically on Instagram, which is exciting for us. Uh, and we've seen really high engagement. Uh, I think we just saw, according to CrowdTangle and um, uh, some of the other data we pulled, that our Instagram is overperforming relative to most every other publisher our size. Uh, we're paying close so attention. So is that is that the is that metric basically diversification from Facebook? I mean, even though Instagram is owned by Facebook, you can't get away from Facebook. Look, I, th- there's a concept and notion throughout the industry that uh, people have to hedge against Facebook. And I'm not saying that we're not diversified because we're creating programming for Apple. We're creating programming for Spotify. We're creating programming for television. And we haven't been secretive about that. We have series on those platforms. Uh, We have a TV pilot we're working on. We have a series that we are excited to pitch to platforms that are not Facebook who are still buying premium video. But the idea that it's imperative to diversify from Facebook because Facebook is going to one day uh, screw over publishers is not something that we lose sleep over just because we're wildly bullish on Facebook as a company. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like a huge part of Vice's business and, and valuation was built on YouTube, a big part of our business uh, has been built on Facebook because there are billions of Facebook users, as you know, and millions of them log on every minute looking for content that engages them. Mm-hmm. And if there's a lack of engaging content on the feed, then people's Facebook experience will no longer be as positive right. and so engaging. So you think y- your interests are aligned with Facebook's because you're focused on creating stuff that users engage with and they want things in the feed that users engage with. Correct. Counterpoint. You came out of uh, advocacy and then became a media company. I'm reminded of Upworthy. Sure. Right? Well, so, so like Upworthy great was a counter. very similar story. And then um, and then things went south. So first of all, Upworthy was a traffic business. Um, and it was a business that was entirely focused on headlines that were, I think, very effective at the time at pulling people in, but at times were accused of being baity or misleading with respect to the content once you actually click through. Um, Although Upworthy claims that when people spend a lot of time with that content and that... And there's still a... By the way, Upworthy's not dead. No, I know. There's still a good business that's doing millions of dollars of revenue every year. So, you know, they haven't been uh, entirely shut down in any way, shape, or form by Facebook. But they're traffic dipped. They used to be the poster child, I guess, of when it was about using Facebook to get traffic to your .com Sure. They, they were the ones, I think, like Forbes called them the fastest growing website ever. You know? Sure. Well, here's which what is, I'll Which say. is a kiss of death when you get Facebook that. Facebook has had one constant through line in its entire history, and that is they want people to spend more time on Facebook. And the problem with publisher traffic is that it takes people oftentimes off of Facebook, especially during Upworthy's heyday. It was taking people off of Facebook mm-hmm. to a third-party website. Facebook doesn't like that. Twitter wouldn't like that. Snapchat wouldn't like that. Instagram wouldn't like that. All these platforms want you to stay on yeah. as long as possible. That's part of how they market themselves to advertisers. And so with video, we're publishing it natively to Facebook. We're not trying to take people off to attention.com. 
all the time. We're not trying to take people off to a TV network. We are focused on giving them the best experience, the most quality viewing experience possible on Facebook that conveys to them important and engaging and dynamic stories. And that Facebook, I think, will always like as long as you're keeping people engaged on their platform. And I think the the brilliance of socially distributed media companies today is that they're not constantly fighting this unwinnable war, this upstream battle, which is let's try to take people off the platforms that they live, direct them against the flow of traffic to our site, our owned and operated properties, and not publish natively on social. And that, frankly, is mm-hmm. a losing strategy. Although Farmville told a very similar story, Zynga did with Farmville. Um, and then it sort of went against Facebook's interests, and Facebook did cut them off. So I, I'm, I'm not an expert on gaming. And Neither I, am and I. I, can, and I, I just know that there's far fewer of those uh, social gaming companies in the feed. These but days. I can say this about Facebook, too. Since we started the company, there's been maybe a half dozen announcements about Facebook making algorithmic changes. And every time there's an article, sometimes in esteemed places like Digiday, saying, is this, is this the end for publishers? <laughs> you know, is, is this doom and gloom for people who rely yeah, on Facebook? We keep Facebook? predicting it sometimes. Yeah, it will, be it the will end. happen. That's the thing. <laughs> but So eventually you might be right just by, <laughs> by sheer persistence. But the fact of the matter is every one of these algorithmic announcements We've only seen our own growth in metrics go up and up and up, and they've really only been news feed tweaks that are meant to omit lower quality content in your feed. They're meant to take away the clickbait. They're meant to take away people yeah. who are purposely gaming the system. Right. So there's a lot of people who are stitching together. I mean, they're basically slideshows as video in order to try to get them yeah. into the feed. Or they're doing ridiculous <laughs> headlines promising, you know, incredibly, uh, I would say, heart-wrenching emotions, and then you click mm. through and you're underwhelmed. Yeah. Or it's publishers who are just, frankly, misleading in, in what they're claiming they're going to offer people. And I think Facebook has done the best job that they can, at least from my uh, perspective, of trying to weed those publishers out. But we're premium, and we only want to be more premium, and we're only going to get more premium, and Facebook wants mm-hmm. premium people in its feed. What does premium mean in a feed environment? I mean, because like a lot of people say premium, it usually means ex- more expensive. Well, premium does mean more expensive, but it means original content. It means that we're filming things ourselves. It means that- You're not just licensing stuff from Juke and- We do some licensing, but the bulk of our content these days is original. I mean, all of our- uh, most shared videos in October or September, original interviews that we've booked ourselves, brought people to our office, gone out into the field and told these stories. You know, that's more expensive. That's original right. content. That's content that you're not just ripping off of AP or mm-hmm. from Jukin or from someplace and then adding your own title card and yeah. saying it's your own. Um, or it's not content that you're stealing from people even worse because there is some degree of stolen content on the internet. It's content that we've produced ourselves and that we excel at producing because we're incredibly meticulous with how we tell stories on mobile. Mm -hmm. And strong mobile stories are told and shot in a square format. Uh, They are stories that have really strong imagery to them. They have to open with a compelling thesis uh, to tell the viewer what they're getting themselves into. And, you know, they have to, most importantly, not be boring. They have to be quick and engaging the entire time. And so we internally 
do what's called a boring pass when we uh, look at our videos before they publish and we say to people at our company, raise your hand where you get bored. And uh, if people raise their hand in too many spots, we'll edit, we'll re-edit the video to say, why did we lose you here? Mm-hmm. And we'll fix those holes where people drop off. And that's helped, helped make our retention very good and our storytelling better. How do you measure whether you're building a brand? Something I always ask people here because a lot of people are putting up big numbers. There's only, they're only a couple years in, so I mean, they can't, you know, I don't expect them to have like, you know, a 50 year brand in two years. Yeah. But there's a lot of quick interactions that are happening just by the nature of these platforms being, being on mobile, being in a feed that, and let's face it, like once something is successful in a, particularly in a Facebook environment, it gets quickly copied by a lot of people. We've dealt with that ourselves. I mean, I won't lie. People have copied us. So what's the key and how do you measure whether you're building a brand with an audience, particularly when you've got an algorithm between you and the audience? So great question. Something we think through every single day, a tough problem to solve for any company, even legacy brands. How do they keep their brand on social? Because people see viral videos. They might be published from CNN. They don't even know they're published from CNN. It's a few things. Um, first of all, how do we measure it? Uh, not that this is scientific, but, uh, everyone at our company has a lot of attention swag and people wear the attention clothing around town. I just wore the attention sweatshirt on an airplane two days ago and four different people came up to me and said, I love that company. That was not happening a year ago. That was not happening a year and a half ago. So anecdotally, more people are seeing the logo. They're seeing the company in quote unquote, real life. Mm-hmm. And they're commenting that they appreciate the content. So that to me is a soft indicator that we're breaking through and building a real brand. But real brands are built through consistency and through focus and through uh, key rolling narratives. And that's something that I think we've been really strong at. You know, we don't like to call ourselves a news company. We will leverage the news cycle and sometimes cover topical news issues, but we are not tied to the volatility of the news cycle. We don't wake up every morning and say, well, what's Donald Trump doing and what's the weather? And let's just cover that. We have key themes and topics that we have been myopically focused on for years. Those are topics like health and wellness, parenting, the environment, the war on drugs, civil rights. These are things that we have covered day in and day out, produced hundreds of videos on, and built real followings and niche Mm -hmm. communities who care. That's how you build a brand. It's consistency of topic focus, and it is discipline in not, frankly, losing sight of who your audience is and who you want your audience to be. Um, So you don't do the Kardashian stuff? No. I mean, you won't see any Kardashian videos anywhere on any of our platforms, unless for some reason the Kardashians want to talk about legalizing marijuana or uh, expanding universal health care or uh, fighting climate change, we'd be happy to sit down with okay. a Kardashian and talk to them about yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I mean, these days celebrities are going to be sure, entering we, politics more uh, than ever. and so. But we yeah. won't report on what they wore on the red carpet. You'll never see that with okay. us. Um, and I was talking mostly about, I mean, I call it like viral sameness. I mean, like everyone... I don't know. I guess a lot of the sort of optimization tricks feel like, you know, everyone sort of knows the playbook. And so that that leads to a lot of sort of sameness out there. I think you see you had seen it. I think Snapchat is is fixing this a little bit by getting people in their lanes. You see that sometimes you used to see it in Discover and that like everything was the same. It it was all Cosmo as far as I can tell. So I, I, I think that 
we have created a lot of our own original formats, some of which have been slightly copied. And by the way, we're always trying to stay one step ahead of the competition and evolve mm -hmm. the product in a way that looks new and unique and compelling. One thing that I think we were probably the first to do on Facebook, at least as far as all of our data points and research shows, was create animated videos on Facebook. We have an animation team in-house and we create animated explainer videos to break down everything from more governmental topics like what is the electoral college to what is gerrymandering to you know what are gun show loopholes. And those pieces, which are expensive premium pieces to make where we draw everything in-house and script everything in-house, uh, look totally different than anything you see in your feed. And we noticed that those were some of our highest performing videos and those were premium products that people appreciated. Um, we do it, continue to do and originally did a lot of stuff in live action well before other publishers were. They were just taking footage from licensed outlets and putting the sort of captions over them. But we would go out and shoot our own stuff mm -hmm. and figure out sort of how to uh, frame the first few seconds of the video so that it would pull people in. And we're a big believer in what we call mini documentaries on Facebook. We do these one to two to three minute documentary pieces that are character driven and still story driven, but we produce them in a way that cuts to the chase immediately to pull people in and then contextualizes the issue that the story is about sort of on the latter half of the video. This is um, like the opposite of the Ken Burns Vietnam exactly. <laughs> documentary. I, I'm, I'm somewhere mired in the Mekong Delta, I think, like uh, 28 hours into this thing. Well, like a broken record, I say to our team all the time, there's no slope. This isn't poker. There's no slow playing on social. Okay. Yeah, no, you got to get right to the point. <laughs> Quick break to tell you about Digiday Plus, our membership program. It is your way to getting exclusive content, research. We do events here. We have a Slack town hall. Um, it's really great. And uh, it is less than $400. So please consider being a member. Visit uh, digiday.com and you will see the Digiday Plus icon at the top. Let's talk about making money. Let's do it. We're having a <laughs> Please to report, we are having a great revenue year. A very strong revenue year. And what's, and, dr and what's driving and, that? And the, what's driving that is the fact that we are honestly one of the most engaged publishers on social right now P brands are seeing our content organically in their feeds cmos people who work in the marketing department at, at big brands they're seeing attention in their newsfeed day in and day out not in a one-off way mm -hmm. but consistently and but so it's that not food video right so like you can't <laughs> just like integrate um a food brand into the videos so so i'll, I'll give a little you an bit example. dependent right on like facebook and their ad programs well, not necessarily because we sell direct to the client. Okay. So uh, a client will pay us to create series or video that we then publish to Facebook that has their branding, their message. And we also, of course, tag them and at times can even drive them um, not only awareness, but click through through the pinning the top comment uh, to whatever campaign okay. site. So you do have. like the handshake. Yeah, we use thing. the handshake okay. tag. But like, for instance, we have a big campaign this year with REI the outdoors company. Mm -hmm. And they're focused on branding the outdoors as a place that's beneficial for people's mental health, their physical development. And so we've made videos about how the outdoors is more than just a vacation spot, but it's actually good for your well-being, for your health and wellness. And I uh, have made some extremely compelling videos that have done great organically. 
and that have uh, and you pay facebook to to amplify this stuff no uh on the on the rei videos that sounds dangerous do you want to cut facebook in i think (laughs) i want to tell you (laughs) you know i think part of the uh value proposition of, of our company is that we almost never have to rely on paid because our videos right. will perform so well organically. So when media buyers look at us, they're like, you know, can, can you think, can you get this thing to a half million views? And we knock it out of the park for them because- But are you confident in that continue? I mean, look, I don't well, mean worst to go case back scenario, to Worst case scenario, if we had a video that was a big underperformer, we would boost it if we had a media buyer who mm-hmm. we committed a certain degree of views to. But the fact is we haven't needed to do that to date. And okay. I'm excited. That's by interesting. I mean, because I mean, we look, we, we had a we had an event in Europe recently and, um, you know, everyone was talking about the tests that were going on in Slovakia and Cambodia and Serbia and a few other markets and separating out publisher content from friend content into its own feed and and the impact that that had. But didn't Facebook clarify that they were not going to do that? Well, I mean, I don't know. Do you? I think we're most. Can you really say, and this is not meaning that Facebook is dishonest in some way, but they're a company that's predicated on changing so quickly that I don't even, do you think they really know whether they're going to have a separate feed or not? I think the core product on Facebook, as it has been for years, is its newsfeed. And while the newsfeed is totally a work in progress and always evolving, that's the product that keep people, that, that keeps people logging into Facebook every single day. And so if for some reason people logged on their newsfeed and there wasn't good video, there, was, there were not good stories, there were not, was not content in general that interests them, they'd be less likely to log mm-hmm. on Facebook. So if Facebook migrated all their best content to a special tab where natural user behavior does not or did not flow, they would see a drop-off in daily logins and in time on the newsfeed, and that would hurt them in their business mm-hmm. with advertisers. So I'm a big believer that Facebook needs quality publishers just as badly as quality publishers need Facebook. So you don't have like a black binder uh, on your bookshelf that has like organic operation organic reach zero to <laughs> no, <laughs> prepare for that. No, but you know, look, I, I think at the same time, we're building a brand and right. you're going to, you're already seeing that brand on ABC news. You're right. seeing that brand on soon to be Apple for a series we're doing. You're seeing that brand on new emerging streaming services. We did a few videos with HBO on their streaming services, HBO Go and HBO Now. You're going to see our brand, and already people are seeing our brand on more and more platforms. So we're diversifying because I believe good media brands should live everywhere. But Facebook is a particularly paramount platform for us and for everyone just by virtue of how many eyeballs it attracts every day. And that's why we focus on it so much. When I ask about the portfolio question, it's good to have like a portfolio that's 80% stock when the stock market's up, like in a bull market. Yes. Yet, at the same time, the prudent uh, side of someone says, maybe I should buy a few bonds. Doesn't mean you hate stocks. So I, I... I think we have bonds. Okay. You know, we have an email list of a few hundred thousand <laughs> people. That's our bond. bond. Okay, That's there's our bond. Sure. We have an email That's list sure. with a few hundred thousand. I don't know what the pork bellies are. A few hundred thousand people receive a weekly email from us. That's our bond. Okay. Uh, but, you know, you also have So to- where's TV in that? And, and explain the explain how you guys look at TV, because a lot of people um, who are on the digital side are now talking about 
OTV, and you can put it in quotes about whether it means OTT or linear t- linear programming. Sure. But you have an expertise in short form, and so you talked about focus. Do you want to just stay focused on that kind of short form, or do you want to do linear and longer? So form? my big bet is that the future of video is premium mid-form, which we consider mid-form, okay. mid-form meaning video that's between roughly four to eight minutes in length. I think that's where you're going to see more and more buyers, more and more TV networks, more and more advertisers want to tell their stories in sort of mm-hmm. that happy length that's not quite as that's short like as... two ad breaks? Yeah, like two to three ad breaks. Okay. That's not necessarily, you know, as uh, short form as 60 to 90 seconds where it can be tough to tell a story with nuance, but that doesn't necessarily have to arbitrarily hold mm-hmm. someone for a half an hour. I mean, there's no question that attention spans are getting shorter uh, just in the mobile era we live in because people have more choice and they're on the go and they don't need to feel like it should take them 30 minutes to watch an entire newscast or 23 minutes on the half hour to, to understand an entire story. So that rules out linear television. Or well, it, doesn't. it doesn't. I'm just saying our core product will always be premium video mm-hmm. in the sort of short and mid-form yeah. range because I see that as a hugely uh, big opportunity for everyone in the next decade, mm-hmm. so to speak, based on where I can see media evolving. Yeah. But is there, said, is, there, is there a brand advantage to course. having... I We love TV. television. Yeah. We're inspired by television. A lot of our people come from television. And we will soon be there in longer formats as well. And I think one of the value propositions we'll offer to our TV partners is that we can take the cut downs of television and produce them for hmm. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram in a way that is totally optimized for those platforms to go right. viral, as opposed to just saying, we're going to clip this thing and run it you know, without the right So it's kind of like practices. an inside-out strategy, because usually like, if, if people who make content for TV use digital often um, for marketing or for amplification for the TV content, but you're looking at TV in some ways... If your core is the, the shorter form content that's distributed digitally. It is kind of an inside out strategy. And yeah. I think that the the value proposition of these networks is do you want to be in business with a digital partner who can take your TV content and get a whole new digital shelf life from it? And the answer generally ubiquitously across the board is yes. Um, for us, the other value proposition is a brand. When we're mm-hmm. on television, when we're on Nightline, when we're on Good Morning America, although it's not necessarily our core younger millennial consumer who's always watching those shows, although some of them still do tune in to broadcast, we are still getting valuable brand equity with you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, and 70-year-olds who are still consumers who buy products, who are still consumers who visit Facebook all the time, and who then opt in and like our page and follow us on platforms. And we then can reach those people recurringly. Mm-hmm. What are you doing for ABC? So we have a co-production deal where we're making a variety of short form videos that will run uh, on digital properties, both of ABC and attention, and then also broadcast videos that will run on linear. Um, so we did a piece recently, our first broadcast piece on Nightline. We interviewed Bernie Sanders and spoke to him about millennials and healthcare and how they're the most supportive of single-payer healthcare, mm-hmm. and that was a three-minute, really tight piece that uh, aired on Nightline, but then we cut down and also put on social, and it did really well for both our platform and for Nightline. 
Uh, What's the business model behind something? A deal so like the, the business model is we reserve the right uh, to both monetize on our own properties. But at the current juncture, um, you know, it's both a cross-seeding of audience opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's a brand-building opportunity. It's a little bit of an experiment. But we're also dispatching our sales team to get some of the series that we're planning with ABC sponsored as well. Okay. Uh, and then we'll have a rev split around those sponsored series. Let's just uh, flip back to Facebook real quick. Um, so I want to do like one to five because you're in both uh, Facebook Watch and Facebook Midroll. Sure. Five being um, tremendous, one being terrible. <laughs> um, where is the monetization um, on Facebook Midroll? So programmatically, it's no secret. It's, it's not good. Um, yet. Is that a one or is that like uh, a two or 2.5? I'd say it's probably a two. Okay. Um, and I think... People don't hit it. That's what I heard. I mean, the the problem is programmatic money's bad everywhere. So it's it's not great on YouTube. It's, it's not great on pretty much any platform these days because you have an experience where people have to sometimes watch a 15 or 30 second ad just to watch a video that's only 60 seconds in length. Mm-hmm. That's not a good experience on YouTube. You know, we all can't wait when we're on YouTube to hit the skip button yeah. on ads and not dissimilarly on Facebook. It's tough because you're putting together a 90 second video and then 30 seconds in you have to take a 15 second break and 15 seconds counts. So it's mm-hmm. tough. I mean, Facebook has to reconcile their own programmatic approach we hope it's successful. What do you think they have to do? I mean, they just have to keep testing and looking at data and user behavior in terms of where people are dropping off, the best length for an ad. Maybe they should do 10-second ads or 5-second ads as opposed yeah. to these 15-second ad breaks. Um, you know, th- there's where they place the ad. You know, there might be considerable data that I'm not privy to that if you place an ad a little bit further or deeper in the video near the end that more people actually watch it because at that point in the video, they're actually more committed to staying on Mm -hmm. because they like the narrative or conversely, their data might show that if you put the ad right near the front, that's where people are most likely to get through it. I mean, I don't know that's Facebook's. But do you have faith that they're going to sort it out? I do. I do. I think Facebook uh, are among the smartest lot of uh, data scientists there are. I think they'll look holistically at their, uh, publishers who are mm-hmm. part of this mid-roll program and say, okay, who's doing it well? What can we learn from that? And how can we mimic that behavior for other publishers? Um, but the money's not great. Yeah. And But it's not great anywhere. So I'm not you know, particularly discriminating against Facebook and saying no. that they deserve a two or a one. I think YouTube probably deserves a two or a one as well. Okay, let's go on Facebook Watch. It's new. You've got three shows on there. I think the entire, this, this is a Big new effort for Facebook, but it's also, it's a new area. Um, what are you seeing early on? Is this a long-term success or is it too early to tell? It's a huge success. I can already, really? yep. I'm going to, I'll put See, my- See, Heal has yeah. predicted that it will be scrapped or completely overhauled within a year. Really? Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to talk to him about that. <laughs> wow. I think it's going to be a huge success. Um, I think, first of all, it's already going better than they expected. I mean, they did not have a very rocky rollout, all things considered. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been some publish, uh, platforms that have tried to roll out video that have had a, hit a, many more stumbles in terms of their ability to get the video on the platform, to have the product work. Facebook has done a fairly good job. They, they do have a fair amount of resources. Yeah, though. but 
to their credit, okay. you know, there's a lot of big institutions that That's have true. deep pockets and haven't done it right. Um, some of which are global telecom giants, as you know, <laughs> that we, we don't have to name. Um, but I, <laughs> who knows? Uh, but what, what I will say is um, they are very serious about watch. They're putting up to a billion dollars, at least we've read. Mm-hmm. I know Digiday's reported that as well into programming. And when you spend that kind For of- For now, that's, that is a subsidy that is going to run out. It always runs out. Yeah, but that's a lot of money. And once you spend that kind of money on content, especially premium content, you are conditioning users and consumers to say, I can expect this kind of thing on Facebook. And that will reinvent the Facebook brand as a place for even higher quality content. Uh, content. And who does higher quality content benefit? Publishers like attention. Mm-hmm. How about Instagram? Are you making money there? I we mean, are. There's engagement, yes. We are. We sold a series to GE all around Instagram about um, women in science. And they were native Instagram posts and videos and infographics we made. Uh, we've sold Instagram as a larger part of packages too. So when we'll do an overall campaign with a brand, we'll say, you know, we'll do four videos on Facebook, six videos on Instagram, uh, X videos on Twitter, X videos on Snapchat. And uh, so, so Instagram is definitely a part of our package. So Snapchat, a lot of people have different opinions on it about yeah. its, um, its capabilities as a media platform. So um, I think Snapchat is incredibly sticky with teens and it is a huge part of people's daily lives, which bodes well just in their ability to be present in people's eyesight when they're rolling out content. Do I think that the brand of Snapchat is conducive toward media yet? Not fully because most people use Snapchat as a ephemeral yeah. texting or it's messaging a misdirection. service. Uh, whereas Facebook, people are starting to view the brand as a place for content hmm. um, more holistically. Now, content can be defined broadly as your friends and family's political yeah. rants or actual premium video, but that's still content. Snapchat, you are going on to mostly communicate with your friends in a more dynamic way through you know, funny gifts and images and, um, mm-hmm. you know, stickers that yes. you can add on photos. Messaging has never monetized well. It so, has never. I don't know. I mean, I think w- we haven't uh, fully immersed ourselves in the Snapchat ecosystem probably as uh, widely as we can. Mm-hmm. We're not bearish on Snapchat, uh, but we are watching and learning from the early adopters. But Instagram has more um, immediate upside. Is what you're saying. I think Instagram has very much um, created a mimic of some of the best features of Snapchat and also has the benefits of crossbreeding with Facebook in a way that will suit Instagram well. But at the same time, Instagram still, if you look at its core function, is for photos from your friends. And so are publishers really going to get important stories across on Instagram in an imminent way? Not as quickly as Facebook, not as quickly as Twitter. Uh, but Instagram is evolving, and I think it will continue to evolve. So where does YouTube fit into it for, or fit into your strategy for a brand like yours that began really Facebook first? It's a good question. When we started the company uh, about three years ago, we looked at YouTube and we said, there have been publishers on YouTube. 
for years now yeah. who have built millions of subscribers. How the hell are we ever going to catch up? Meanwhile, when we were starting our company, Facebook video was this brand new product that we were like, whoa, if we can master this thing and do a good job of building audience here, we'll be you know, the uh, paramount publisher on Facebook and we can build a lot of our business on that platform in a way that will then build a brand and allow us to scale to other platforms. So we you know, made a conscientious business decision to go all in on Facebook video at an early stage of our business, basically day one, um, and have candidly not programmed as much to YouTube. We've played around with it. I think YouTube's dynamic for sure. I think the searchability on YouTube's really tough. It's hard to find what you're looking for. Um, it's and, an irony there. Um, I, I just think that the face, excuse me, the discoverability on YouTube is really tough. It's tough to find content just in general on YouTube unless you know exactly right. what you're looking for. Yeah. That's what I meant to say. Right. I apologize. Uh, whereas on Facebook, you know algorithmically you're going to be served content that generally will make your newsfeed experience positive. On YouTube, you have to know exactly what you're looking for. And uh, if you don't, then it's a tougher platform to navigate. Okay. Matthew, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening. Uh, if you do like this, and you lasted till now, so I hope you do, uh, please go to iTunes and rate us. Mm-hmm.